One thing I love about the reportage on the weather that's going on right now, the atmospheric rivers and all of that stuff, Stephen, Mm -hmm. is there's never a flippant like, boy, what about the weather, huh? Because all coverage of it is sort of apocalyptic. It's like, oh, well, it's raining now. Oh, this long drought is over. But wait, don't get happy because it's contributing to the destruction of the state in these various ways. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, it used to be small talk. Yeah, it used to be now small it's, talk. Now it's yeah. big talk. Also, now it's the biggest of talks. Also here in California, the, the deep irony of the fact that, you know, for the longest time, everybody thought you'd move to California for the weather. Yes. Now what? Yes. Well, now you got to move for the convoluted political realities that exist here. Or the high tax rate. Or, or any a number of other things. The, I don't know. The floods. There's the big flood that's going to come, you mm-hmm. know, that thing where it's yeah. it's not going to be the earthquake that takes down L.A. It's going to be the flood. The idea that the thrillers of yore were earthquakes and the scene would be, you know, the streets splitting open, mm-hmm. the overpasses collapsing, or in the case of volcano, a volcano coming up in the middle of the city. The volcano does but, the opposite of collapse. Yeah, it emerges. It emerges and it makes more volcano. Listen up, let me tell you what's south of us. No more museums, no more department stores, just homes. Moses couldn't reroute this. It's everywhere. It's not a I need a demolitions team. It's just creating more Los Angeles. That was the hopeful message of Volcano. Hmm. No, but the idea now that the horror image of Los Angeles with flooding and, and so on is the entire city just kind of sliding like a melted gelato just right into the ocean. Mm. Hollywood sign, like the H kind of sliding off in the L, and then it's just sort of like, ollie woo. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, then it's gone. And and we'll all be like, what happened? (laughs) (laughs) We'll all be like, what happened? You don't like my plan? That's good. Give me another plan, but don't tell me we're backing out. We're going to take this thing to the ocean. Journos, a stream of consciousness news podcast with Stephen Jackson and Brandon R. Reynolds. It's not as though the idea of LA sliding into the ocean haunts my dreams, Stephen, Mm -hmm. but, you know, it is a thing that one might think about. I mean, everything feels kind of, you know, like a sponge cake. It's a little soggy. Yeah. Uh, There's definitely larger rocks in the road now than I remember there being a few days ago. Yep. I'm pretty sure they weren't there before. There's a lot going on, a lot of change. Yeah, and you got to be careful out there on the roads, especially because California in many ways is falling into the ocean, especially if you go up to northern California and you start taking those windy turns around those cliffs up there south of San Francisco. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Designed for a slower... America when you couldn't whip around those things at a million miles an hour. Those are harrowing turns. So to back up a little bit, what we're here to talk about today is the media and some of the invisible forces at play that help to shape our worldview as delivered by the media. But in order to sort of prime the pump for a larger topic about how people are manipulating when certain stories hit your brain, we're going to take a look at a story that broke right around the new year uh, here in California. And it's kind of a dark story, so buckle up, so to speak. But uh, there is a guy who drove his car off a cliff in Northern California, south of San Francisco, with his whole family in it. 
they all lived they were all hurt but they thank god survived now the story itself is kind of freaky because the guy is actually charged with trying to kill his family that happened seemed like hours afterward it was less than a day later they said we know that he tried to kill himself and his family it was astonishing how quick that turnaround was unclear as of yet how they are so sure of it but they have definitely arrested the guy yeah who's from pasadena by the way yeah what i want to focus on is the headline to the story in rather headlines plural because a sneaky thing was done in the reporting of the story that i want to point out so this is by uh, good old npr the headline reads tesla driver is charged with intentionally plunging his family off a california cliff the thing that struck me was how they characterized the alleged criminal as a Tesla driver. Yeah. Okay. And if you need to do a thought experiment to see why this is weird, tell me if you think you'd see that same headline read, a Ford driver is charged with intentionally plunging his family off a California cliff. (laughs) No. No. No, because that wouldn't have anything to do with it unless it was, you know, at a Ford plant or something. Uh No. No. There's no... Definitely not. What's crazy is most people or most outlets uh, did the same thing. Uh, NBC News, Tesla driver who plunged his family off California cliff did so on purpose, officials say. Right? That's from NBC. Fox News said California Tesla driver accused of intentionally plunging wife kids off cliff is doctor in, quote, idyllic family. And uh, LA Times... They were the idyllic family. Now the father is accused of driving a Tesla off a cliff to kill them. Yeah, it's funny. I got to admit, I did not notice this at all until you brought it up. I mean, I'm just so used to seeing Tesla in the headlines of stuff. I was like, yeah, he's a Tesla driver. And I just naturally sort of absorbed all of the connotations of that. Like, well, he must have money. And, you know, of course, I live in California, so it's a whole thing. I mean, sort of dimly aware of whatever the irony was supposed to be that like, oh, Tesla means you've got your shit together. And clearly this guy went off a cliff uh, either intentionally or not. What's going on there? Mm -hmm. But once you compare it to the Ford thing, yeah, it really stands out. And particularly with that LA Times headline that sort of felt like, oh my God, we're almost to the end of this headline. We got to get Tesla in there somewhere. Yep. Tucks it in yep. way at the end. Yeah, it's really interesting when you think about it because it really is presenting Tesla drivers as an entire class in almost like race of people. And they're doing so very much on purpose because fewer automobiles have more connotations, negative and positive than the Tesla, right? And so I started wondering, well, could there be other reasons other than the media maybe being sneaky? For one, uh, everybody was definitely taking this story from the California Highway Patrol press release. And um, I did a little bit of digging around there. And most CHP press releases do mention the make and model of the vehicle. That's interesting. But if that information is always available in the CHP crest, it wouldn't be, you know, the Ford Bronco or something like that across the news media. So there must be more to it, Stephen. Yes, there is. Because the other potential reason why they needed to mention Tesla, of course, is that Tesla has the self-driving mode. Um, Ah, And so that if you say Tesla, it bakes into the headline this idea of was it intentional or was it not? That's kind of debunked pretty early on in the reporting that this did not occur when the Tesla 
was in self-driving mode. So folks had that information. But you think that might just be because in the initial reporting, they didn't know if it was in self-driving mode or not. So they're like, well, it's a Tesla. So draw your own conclusion. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that because this NPR piece is where I first read this. This is kind of the breaking story. And they said, quote, it's unclear what driving mode the Tesla was in at the time of the crash. But officials say the driving mode, quote, does not appear to be a contributing factor in the incident. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that information was there at the time of the story breaking, right? So that's another maybe strike against the media being a little sneaky and wanting to fill our heads with all of these uh, Mm -hmm. preconceived notions of who the man behind this car might be. So I wanted to bring this up because the way that the, the media can drastically affect your worldview is so subtle at times, but it can have a really big impact. And if you really think about how we see ourselves in the world, what is the world we live in, the media plays perhaps the most important role other than, you know, what you see and hear from those in your immediate community, uh, person to person, right? I I mean, if if you close your eyes and you think about America as this hyper object, the only way that you can really think about it and have a vision of it in your head is based on all of the stories and things that you read from whatever outlet, right? So, it's important. Well, and and social media too is an extension of true, that. true, which is mostly opinions, but also social media is kind of fueled by different stories that people are linking yeah. to, right? It's all yeah, creating this worldview that exists mm-hmm. via the media landscape. So again, I think it's really important to read these headlines closely to see how uh, subtle tweaks can really change your perception of story, and then by extension, the world. Now, Brandon. Yes, I'm here. What if I told you that the fact that this man was driving a Tesla, in fact, did play a very major and important role in the reporting of this story? I guess I'd have to slap your mouth oh, and say, you've been leading me astray. It's enough. That'd be the right thing. That would be, you're right. And I deserve it. Well, as I said at the beginning, everybody survived. And the reason that authorities say they survived was the weight of the Tesla batteries on the bottom of the car prevented the Tesla from flipping as it fell off this cliff. Bottom heavy. It's bottom heavy. So it just landed flat. So the fact that everybody was in a Tesla is actually crucial to one of the most important parts of the story, which is that everyone survived. Wow. It was accidentally the right thing to do. It was accidentally the right thing to include. And... Pretty good press for Tesla. Weirdly, yeah, as much as you assume that like the media was putting Tesla in the headline, most likely because they know people are always hunting for Tesla. Tesla is a hot topic. Yeah. And you're more likely to click on something if you see Tesla in the headline. Mm-hmm. In that kind of cynical, clickbaity, we know people are mad about Elon or happy about Elon. Yeah. That kind of way, uh, it does seem like, well, it did sort of contribute it, to the story. It did contribute to the story way. in a major way and in a very positive way. And at the, it, it, you know, after reading a couple of these stories, I was like, oh, wow, Teslas are pretty safe cars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're bought by psychotic people. It, it, evidently. But they're safe cars. Yeah. No, the me- cars. media yeah. hates uh, Elon. That- if Tesla worked hard, they could really spin this. There's a situation room right now where they have all of these stories that are popping up. And then there's also a situation room where everybody's like, oh, God damn it. They ran that photo of Elon in a white tuxedo again. Yeah. Every picture of Elon Musk in the media, he looks like a cartoon villain billionaire. That's right. His statement on it, if he hasn't put it out already, is, see, 
If this was in full driving mode, it never would have happened. Let's take away agency from all the drivers. Give it to the machines. Yep. And then it doesn't matter how crazy or homicidal you are. Yep. Cars will always make those turns in the, like butter. Like butter. I and guess. the tail wags the dog. Tail wags the dog, yeah. That is a fascinating dive into this weird story and into the kind of the psychology that goes into uh, choosing how stories are presented, what facts are put in, what facts are taken out. Another big thing, Stephen, to think about, not just how the story is presented, but when. Oh. Yes, when the story is presented. Stephen, you know what Fridays are, right? I, th- I think. Yeah, it's it's the last day of the holy work week. Mm. And then you head into the weekend and you do your thing, killing time. On Friday, you plan to do some weekend stuff, right? What are you going to do this weekend? Oh, me? Um, I'm going to go to a, a comedy show. Great, great. Imagine if every Friday, before you go out to do the fun thing you're going to do, mm-hmm. go to dinner and Go to a movie, go to a comedy show, meet up with friends. You pull your wife aside and you're like, hey, I dumped about 80 gallons of oil into the river. Or I've been cheating on you, uh, but hey, I'm going to buy nachos. That kind of thing. Yeah. Imagine if that was the way you lived your life. Uh, I'd be a very lonely person. Probably I wouldn't have any friends. I wouldn't have a spouse. I'd probably be in jail. You might very well be. But if you're a corporation, you might be an extremely savvy individual. Stephen, there's a long-running tradition in journalism. It's known as the Friday News Dump. You know the Friday News Dump, right? It's such an institution that the venerable show The West Wing actually talked about it in an episode in 2000. Let's take out the trash day. Friday. I mean, what is it? Any stories we have to give the press that we're not wild about, we give them all in a lump on Friday. Why do you do it in a lump? Instead of one at a time? I think you'd want to spread them out. They've got X column inches to fill, right? They're going to fill them no matter what. Yes. So if we give them one story, that story's X column inches. You give them five stories? A fifth the size. Why do you do it on Friday? Because no one reads the paper on Saturday. You guys are real populous, aren't you? Salads for CJ. You better believe they were walking hard. It's a show about walking and talking. That's right. So in this case, yes, the Friday night news dump, the idea being companies, politicians, all kinds of folks who have something unfortunate that they want to say will release that information on a Friday or before a holiday with the idea that people are going to wander off. They're not going to be paying any attention. And that really negative story will sort of fade into the ether. Mm -hmm. And that company or politician or whatever will pick up on Monday and sort of continue uh, skipping along happily in whatever level of corruption they currently enjoy. Oh, yeah. Back in the days of print media, that totally would make sense because there were only so many spots uh, in, in the newspaper, right? So there, there was a finite amount of space to print the story. Exactly. And they knew that there was a schedule. Those guys would put that stuff out. And so that's always been this this conception of a tradition, right? You put out news that you don't want on a Friday, because people are going to wander off, or in the case of financial news, because the markets will be closed and it'll give investors the weekend to ruminate on the news so that they don't make these hasty conclusions Mm -hmm. and tank the markets going into the weekends. And again, that's the same as with holidays. You know, people are gone. 
And again, it's not like the news wants to print a nasty story about a company on a Friday. It's that the company tries its hardest to only really make that information available on a Friday. That's exactly right. Like you said, the tail wags the dog. And in this case, we have this conception of news happening on its own schedule. And, you know, when it comes to disasters and stuff, that's certainly the case. But when you have news related to organizations, human-driven enterprises, you might say, Mm -hmm. then you start to see a little bit of scheduling. And certainly in the case of politicians, uh, you can find that on both sides. A Fox News article was happy to point out that, quote, the list of politicians who have effectively used Friday news dumps to their advantage is lengthy. A less recent but perhaps more commonly known example was the FBI's late Friday release of nearly 200 pages of interview summaries from the agency's investigation into Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server when she served as Secretary of State. Yeah. On the other hand, here's Washington Post from 2017 talking about President Trump. Quote, President Trump, in the space of four hours, made official a ban on transgender people serving in the military, pardoned a controversial sheriff accused of racial profiling, and parted ways with polarizing aide and conservative media darling Sebastian Gorka. The announcements were made in the evening hours as the nation focused on Hurricane Harvey, Mm -hmm. which threatened catastrophic damage to areas along the Gulf Coast giving new meaning to the Friday night news dump strategy that has long been a staple for Washington politicians looking to bury controversial decisions. In the two, you know, basically parallel examples, Fox News needed to make sure that the Democrats were portrayed in a bad light. And then Washington Post had to choose the bad thing the Republicans did. And that's why you have to look at both of them together to figure out, like, who's really doing it? Is it one side or the other? No, of course, it's definitely sides doing it. All the time. You know who else does it a lot and who everybody likes to call attention to? Libertarians. Facebook. Well, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it, it's Facebook. It could be comprised of people who have a, uh, a, a lighter touch on the idea of government. But practically a cottage industry for media in the last few years, I guess because Facebook has spent so much of its time screwing up and saying unpopular things that it's become really clear that they're trying to hew to this uh, Friday night news dump strategy so that they can kind of bury their news. There are a handful of stories that uh, follow along these lines. Uh, On the Friday before Christmas in 2017, this is from CNN, quote, Facebook launched its tool to let users see if they'd been exposed to Russian propaganda, perhaps assuming it's not how anyone would pass time on their long weekend. (laughs) It first announced the tool was in the works the day before Thanksgiving. And those are like, that is the upper echelon. That is the tip top of Friday news dump is the Thanksgiving and Christmas night Friday news dump. Yeah. If you want a glimpse of apocalypse, get some drinks in the night before Thanksgiving mm-hmm. and then just read the news. Everybody's <laughs> going to throw out their unpopular stuff. Here's another Facebook favorite. The night before the midterm elections in November 2018, Facebook released a report saying it failed to do enough to prevent its platform being used to fuel political division and bloodshed in Myanmar. End quote. That's another one from CNN. Yeah. So that's Facebook, right? They're old school. They're analog. I mean, they're the digital version of analog. (laughs) They're churning butter over there. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're they're the Amish version (laughs) of giant internet platforms. No offense to the Amish. They're wonderful people. Um, But now there's meta. They've become meta. They're enlightened. They've got a whole different idea of how to handle their bad news. 
And the way they do it now is just hide the bad news in other bad news that's going on at any given time. There was an Axios story that came out December 22nd, and it quoted this report from a media monitoring platform called Memo, which had looked at 6,300 articles about Meta that had shown up over the course of six months across the news media. And they found that Meta was behaving very, very differently in that they said to hell with Fridays. Let's just figure out when big stuff's happening and then drop it in there. Mm. Yeah, it's like the decentralized approach to the Friday news dump. Exactly right. As the Axios article by Eleanor Hawkins says, quote, the data reveals a pivot away from dumping news in favor of burying it. So, Stephen, you got some gems here. Uh, The news that Sheryl Sandberg was stepping down, that was dropped on June 1st, right around the same time as the Johnny Depp versus Amber Heard trial verdict was scheduled. Oh, oh yeah. On July 1st, Zuckerberg was going to tell employees that he was slowing hiring. July 1st, of course, is right before a very famous American holiday, something, something, something hot dogs. Yes, Independence yes. Day. <laughs> yeah, yes. Yeah, the day that the aliens. Yes, Stephen. On September 21st last year, Meta announced staffing cuts, which was just a couple of days after Queen Elizabeth, who happened to be the Queen of England, had her big funeral service broadcast. Mm. And as you know, the news media was still all abuzz with all things imperial. And then, possibly the creme de la creme, Meta announced layoffs. November 9th, right smack in the middle of the U.S. midterms. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Because as the media landscape has expanded way, way beyond the confines of print media and the finite amount of space there is on the page then, you know, Fridays kind of mean less, right? But what really matters is the fact that the media will swarm around huge stories and just flood the entire zone. And then all those stories get disseminated and shared and talked about on all these social media sites. So it's clearly more effective to just sort of tuck your bad news in right beneath all of that chit-chat. It's more powerful than the sort of doldrums of the weekend or the Manhattans, perhaps you're drinking with your coworkers on a Friday night, at, you know, yeah, as they it, did back in the day. It's kind of like you've gone out with your friends, you're at a nice restaurant, everybody's got their round of cocktails, mm-hmm. and just as everybody's chit-chatting about the latest movie, yeah. maybe they're talking Avatar, Yeah, that's right when you say, uh, guys, I set one of your car on fire. Uh, I got to go to the bathroom. Who wants nachos? Who wants nachos? Yeah. So it seems like it's the really sensible option. If you're a kind of sociopathic company that's only thinking about surviving through the next news cycle, prospering into the next quarter, makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. The thing is, it doesn't seem like it's actually working. Go on. This memo report, which looks at all of these stories, sees that there's actually an increase in coverage of these issues in the midst of all of this other turmoil and chaos. Eva Kasher, who's an insights manager at Memo, who wrote this report, says, quote, here's the thing. Readership actually increased. Readership of Meta's layoff news spiked at nearly 5 million in the midst of the U.S. midterm elections, roughly five times the readership of negative news announced earlier in the year. Given the nature of the announcements, it's likely that readership was always going to be higher compared to press earlier in the year. But five times is a lot, end quote. Yeah, it is a lot. So do you think there's 
something that happens where people are reading the news already. Maybe they're paying attention to the news more because of some big shiny object. And then, you know, the way that news works or in algorithms works is that then you get kind of served up with another news story from that same outlet. So you're already there. And so perhaps it's having the opposite effect. Everybody's reading the news and sure they're talking about Johnny Depp, but and so maybe they wouldn't have been paying attention to the news at all. But now because they're there, they see in the little sidebar, you know, the bad news about Facebook. I think that's exactly it. If you have a newspaper that goes to press, you know, at five in the afternoon on Friday for the Saturday and this politician or company dumps the news right around that time, you pick up the paper on Saturday and that's not going to be in there. It's all this what we would consider old news. But if you're on Twitter clicking away, Mm -hmm. there's those trending topics on the right. That's updated in real time. So, yeah, if somebody puts something out there, in this case, the algorithm, which is designed to suck up our attention, is incentivized to find any kind of information, good, bad, or otherwise, and throws it up there. So now there's really nowhere to run, Stephen. There's nowhere to to hide. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. And the Friday news dump worked because nobody reads the news on Saturdays. That's why the Friday was important. It wasn't about like necessarily jamming it in with all this other news. It was because readership itself was going to take a hit. Right. But now that never ends. But now that never I mean, ends. We have weekend. Because we live in this kind of constant 60 hour a day news cycle, which again <laughs> is informing entirely our worldview and it's important that we take a closer look at the forces at play that are determining what news gets to us and when. And of course, that has to do with the technology around news dissemination and algorithms, the rise of social media. But it also has a lot to do with how the media is going to react to what companies are putting out in the form of press releases and when. Yeah. And that's all kind of content now anyway, right? So... If it's interesting and if it's going to keep people engaged, and by engaged I mean online, staring at their screens, scrolling, 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 then probably it's going to rise to the surface. And so Facebook, now Meta, is sort of a unique case in that respect because we pay so much attention to all the stuff that's happening with the company. Just like with Tesla, we pay attention to anything that happens with the company, even if the thing that happens, as in the case of the guy driving the car off a cliff, doesn't really have anything to do with the company at all. No. But but they know that that's going to become viral because of that connection. Exactly. They needed to sell ads. And so that headline has to be very clickable. And you only have so many words in a headline. And by calling somebody a Tesla driver, they're just packing that full of meaning whether or not it is accurate. I love the idea that Eva Kasher points out that the readership spiked about this bad news about Meta, probably because of the Meta algorithm itself serving news to people. I mean, I think that's kind of the irony of it. Where are you getting this information about this company? Oftentimes from this company. (laughs) In the case of Twitter, if there's bad Elon news, we start to see, well, it sounds like some of that stuff's being edited out by Elon. So you do have these platforms like Twitter that are making really conscious decisions to express some information and repress others, uh, Twitter uh, sort of most notably. Yeah, and you know what? Irony abounds because we can assume 
that the idea of pointing out that this person who allegedly tried to kill his family was a Tesla driver, that was meant to be sort of a pejorative term. But of course, at the end, it's the fact that he was driving a Tesla that saved everybody's life. Yeah, I mean, I think he's still going to jail, Steve. He is, but, Tesla, he good... but, but Tesla's, that's a safe car. That's thats the takeaway to that. These Teslas, man, you could set your watch to them. That is un-takeaway. <laughs> I don't know if it's the one that we want. I was wondering whether this phenomenon really held up, right? Like, what kind of stuff is being put out on a Friday? Is it stuff that we're noticing? Is there stuff that's disappearing into the news hole? So I looked at a Reddit feed called Friday News Dump and just skimmed some of the stories to see if there were things that I knew about Uh, or things that I didn't. Interestingly, one of the bits of news that dropped on a Friday afternoon was the fact that the Supreme Court had overturned Roe v. Wade. Don't know if you knew that, Stephen, but it did happen. I did, I heard. Some other news. A while back, Elon announced on a Friday that he was not going to buy Twitter. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like people got that information pretty well. And then there's other stuff about CDC lifting mask rules, Everybody knows that. So most of the stuff that I see on here, I feel like, no, this information got to us. There's some outliers, certainly, like in March of last year, Saudi Arabia killed 81 people in the first mass execution in a bunch of years. That's not something that made a lot of waves. And even the AP was sort of questioning the decision. It said, quote, it wasn't clear why the kingdom chose Saturday for the executions, though they came as much of the world's attention remained focused on Russia's war on Ukraine and as the U.S. hopes to lower record high gasoline prices as energy prices spike worldwide, end quote. So, you know, sometimes it does work and things don't really get picked up. Although in the case of Saudi Arabia, it's sort of a part of that general froth of outrage that we feel around that country anyway. I mean, it's got a lot of stuff going yep. on. And maybe this is just one more thing. So, you know, are you really going to feel more or less about it? And then, of course, there's one other element here, which is we're not seeing the stuff that we're not seeing, right? We're seeing these bits of big news that defied what you might consider the Friday night curse and rose to prominence anyway. But maybe there are a lot of things that are being successfully suppressed. Yeah, we don't know what we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. But the Axios article that I mentioned earlier has kind of a similar takeaway. They interviewed Kelly McCormick, who's the founder of an outfit called Original Strategies. And she says, quote, news and social media are always on, end quote. The suggestion being that you're not really going to get away from this and that probably there will be new strategies, uh, who knows, new technologies Mm -hmm. that come out that allow people to bury their bad news in the future. Yeah, that's maybe the more dangerous thing that we're sort of discussing here is that there's this old school thing where, okay, sure, as it relates to politics and press releases, the Friday news dump, you know, used to work. Now it doesn't. Turns out that trying to tuck it beneath other like sort of meme level news stories doesn't necessarily work. But it's the sheer volume of news itself that unless you are actively digging there's no way you're ever going to catch all the important stories that shape our world. Yeah, there's a galaxy brain effect too, right? Like stuff like Roe v. Wade, everyone was talking about. So you were not going to miss that. It wouldn't have mattered when they put that out. People were waiting for it. But that galaxy brain effect that is a combination of regular news media and social media and all the ways that we are engaging with information, 
it can, in theory, be hijacked just by its own abundance and also just of our own interests, right? Like Roe v. Wade is culturally significant in a way that, you know, maybe Saudi executions just aren't. So that stuff kind of falls by the wayside. But I think you're absolutely right that the bigger problem is that there's so much stuff out there and who is choosing what stories to write, who's choosing which stories get to us. And then it's sort of up to us to make sure we have the time to process that and develop opinions and do our homework and all of that. And, you know, and sometimes it's easier just to sort of log off yeah. and go have some drinks or only pay attention to dumb stuff on the weekend. For sure. Sometimes you just want to sit back and enter the self-driving mode of your own mind, man. Yeah. And enjoy the news version of nachos, whatever that is. Get them for the table. If yeah. you're going to have some, I'm going to have some. And it's just a giant buffet of stuff. There's too much stuff. Too much. There's too much stuff. The vegetables are in there, but... Uh, They're tucked under the notice. nacho cheese. <laughs> That's right. The, That's how they sneak the vegetables into the nachos. You got to put them under mm -hmm. all that cream and guacamole and jack cheese. Mm -hmm. And that is the most delicious version of our media landscape that I can think <laughs> of in these troubled times, Stephen. Good work. <sighs> Stephen, amid the glut of information that's assaulting you at any given moment, let me tell you that this has been Journos, and furthermore, that I'm Brandon R. Reynolds. And I'm Stephen Jackson. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. If you have some suggestions for stories, you have questions about anything you may have heard on this show, please do not hesitate to reach out to us directly at journos at journos.net. I'd also like to point out that Journos exists as a service. It's called, believe it or not, Journos as a service. And that service provides these journalistic skills that you heard today to any interested party that would like to invite Brandon and I onto your podcast, onto your show, onto your publication, or just into your home in order to dive deep into a problem or a mystery or a question that you may have about the world. If you want to hear more about Journos as a service, Please, again, reach out to us directly at journos at journos.net.